0: We've spent the last month celebrating that good news, and now I want to give you a message of encouragement as you enter into a new year. And you know, the holidays are kind of tricky for pastors because you know that about half of people really love the holidays. They're like, woohoo, this is the best time of the year. And the other half find it a struggle and find it problematic, and so you've got to kind of have that balance in your preaching. But I really believe this message is going to apply to both groups. I think I've got a message of encouragement to both groups. Because if the holidays are difficult for you, then apply what you hear today, today, as we finish up the holidays. Still got a few more days to go. But if you love the holidays what you find is you kind of have a post-adrenaline letdown. And so you don't need it today, you need it next week. Do you know that feeling? It's going to come on Tuesday when you drive to work, when you drive to school, and all the fun and the holidays is over with, and now you get back to reality once again. And so I hope this is a message of encouragement to those that have struggled this last month and to those that will struggle as you leave it behind and enter into a new year. I've got piles of research here with regard uh, to the holidays. Do you know that researchers find that Christmas Eve is actually the most depressing day of the year? And they've done a bunch of other research. Amid pressures to be merry and happy, nearly half of men admit that they actually feel depressed or sad over Christmas, a study has revealed. Uh, 48% of men said they feel low in December, with 45% saying their worries were the most troubling during the festive period compared to any other time of the year. Around 37% say they feel lonely during a time that is traditionally spent with family and friends, and 30% say they are stressed and anxious due to relationship and financial difficulties. Uh, Nigel, who's a hotline uh, volunteer, said that already in November, they were starting to take calls from people feeling under pressure on the run-up to Christmas. He said Christmas can be a poignant time, bringing issues people face all year round to the surface. And can leave those normally strong enough to cope struggling to do so. I listen to people telling me that they're alone or that they've recently lost their partner or that they're in huge amounts of debt. And it's even harder to deal with because it's Christmas and the expectation that everyone is having a good time. It's so important that we're able to help these people through the festive season. Another set of research talks about millennials. Millennials are more lonely Uh, than older generations. They found uh, that 1 in 10 people ages 25 to 34 who took part in a recent survey by my mental health charity Mind said that they have no one to spend Christmas with compared to 1 in 20 older people. Uh, The burden of financial stress, likely linked to the prevalence of insecure, low-paid work among this age group, affected half of millennials compared with a fifth of older people. And at a time when highly curated lives are displayed across social media, a further third of the over 2,000 people surveyed said they dwelled on what they had failed to achieve in the year compared with only 9% of older people. You know how it is. You think you had a pretty good year. And then you go online on social media, and you see that so-and-so climbed Mount Everest, and so-and-so uh, you know, took a trip around the world. And you just say, what am I doing with my life? Compounding this is the pressure to keep up with friends and present the perfect Christmas online. So you thought you had a pretty good Christmas and then you go on social media and you find out that they went uh, skiing in Vail for the uh, Christmas holidays or so and so. uh, Went to Hawaii and all of a sudden your Christmas doesn't seem so great compared to the perfect ones that are displayed on Facebook or other forms of social media. They found another thing that contributes to discouragement is poor diets, particularly those involving alcohol. Uh, Somebody sent me this New Year's prayer um, a couple of days ago. Dear God, my prayer for 2018 is a fat bank account and a thin body. Please don't mix it up like you did this last year. (laughs) Uh, Here's some more research. Holiday stress has a particular impact on women who take charge of many of the holiday celebrations. So it's pressure not on men, but on women as well. People in the United States are more likely to feel their stress increases rather than decreases during the holiday. Here's one that I particularly relate to. Uh, Men and women also feel an obligation to tend to their family during the holidays. Half of men, 49%, And women, 51%, strongly agree that they feel a responsibility to make sure everyone in their family is happy. And boy, I relate to that. It just seems like the holidays, I have one prayer. Lord, use me to help everybody to get along. Minimize drama and help everybody to be happy. And, you know, when the whole family's together, it's awesome when it's working well. But as a dad, I feel this particular responsibility is everybody having a good time. And it's not anybody killing anybody because you kill another family member, it ruins Christmas every time, I'm telling you. Uh, Here's a list in, in ranking order of negative emotions during the holidays. Number one is fatigue. Then comes stress, irritability, bloating, sadness, anger, and loneliness. And then here are the leading holiday stressors. Number one is lack of time. Number two is lack of money, commercialism, or hype pressure of giving or getting gifts, family gatherings, staying on a diet, increasing my credit card debt, travel, my children. Those are the list of the holiday stressors. Now, what I want us to do as you turn to your study outline is I want us to look at a very familiar story in the Bible, but from an unfamiliar perspective. This is going to be one of the most familiar stories in the Bible for you, but we're going to look at it from a perspective that we almost never look at. It's the story of Joseph, not the New Testament Joseph that had to do with the Christmas story, but the Old Testament Joseph uh, from the book of Genesis. And we all, we love this story. It's one of our favorite stories at Purpose Church. Pastor Eric just preached a great message on Joseph a couple months ago, back in October. But what I want us to do instead is to look at the story of Joseph from the perspective of his father, Jacob. And I think you're going to find this tremendously encouraging. As a matter of fact, I don't believe you're here by accident. I believe you're here by divine appointment. God has called you here because he has something specific he wants to say to you about what he's doing uh, in and through your life right now. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this story, and I'm kind of jumping it around, and it might get confusing. Here's what I want you to do. Before you go to bed tonight and write this down, write down Genesis chapters 37 through 50. And that's the story of Joseph. And it is a, uh, literally a page turner. It's one of the best stories, not just in the Bible, but, but all of literature. I mean, when I start reading the book of Joseph, there's no discipline in my quiet time reading the Bible. I just, it's like a page turner. I don't want to stop. It's such a great story. And there's even a little R-rated section in chapter 38 where you take a detour with um, the brother, his brother Judah, uh, and read that crazy story. And then you come back to the story of Joseph once again. And so if you're unfamiliar with the story, I really encourage you to read that Genesis 37 through 50 before you go to bed tonight. But I want to focus on the story of Joseph, which is somewhat familiar, from the unfamiliar perspective of his father, Jacob. And through that, get some hope for the new year. Now, the title of this message is Everything is Against Me. But if you take this outline and hold it up to a mirror upside down, it says everything is for me. And I want you to check this out. When you get home, or maybe as soon as the service is over, go out to one of the restrooms, you know, and hold it up to the mirror, turn it upside down. All the people coming from the next service are going to wonder what's going on with all these people in the men's and women's room holding up their outline to the mirror. But hold it up to a mirror, turn it upside down. And, it, and it's the key phrase in this story where we're going to see an accumulation of events To the point where Jacob, in despair, says, everything is against me, but actually, God is working everything for him. And I want to use this as a word of encouragement that the things you think are against you. Right now, I want you to think to yourself, what is the biggest challenge you have in in the coming year? What's the thing that breaks your heart most uh, that's happened in 2017 and as you enter into 2018? What's the thing you're most afraid of? What's the thing you're most worried about? What's the thing that's most discouraging in your life? And I want us to see through the story of Jacob that God might very well be working through that thing. It is not a good thing, but he can work together for our good to use that thing where we think everything is against me and actually God is working everything for me. So let's charge in. Genesis chapter 35. Then they moved on from Bethel. and While they were still some distance from Ephrath. Rachel, this is the love of Jacob's life, his, his sweetheart, began to have birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, don't despair, for you have another son. As she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Onai, but his father named him Benjamin. Now, this is a tr- crushing blow. For Jacob to lose the love of his life. But you know what I found, and I bet you found it in your life. You can usually handle the first bit of trouble that comes your way. And, and Jacob's able to handle this first one. Uh, we see that even in this terrible moment, as he as the love of his life is dying, and she in her despair names him ben onai which in the Hebrew means son of my sorrow. In that moment of despair, he is son of my sorrow. Jacob is able to rise to the occasion, look at it from God's perspective and say, no, no, I don't want this boy to carry that with him for his whole life. I'm going to name him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. And he's able, he has strength enough when the first piece of trouble comes to turn a day of sorrow into a day of hope. And we're usually able to do that. We have strength enough to do that when the first piece of trouble hits. How many of you, however, find that trouble comes in bunches. Let me see your hands. Trouble comes in groups. So many times I like to say to God, Lord, I I know that you need a certain amount of trouble in your life to stay humble, to stay dependent upon God, and so I I understand I need some trouble this side of heaven. I I get that. Could it come once every five to ten years? That's what I would prefer. That you have trouble, you handle it, you rest for five or ten years, and then the next batch of trouble comes. But trouble doesn't come that way, does it? It comes one after another, after another, after another. How many of you would raise your hands to say that's the way trouble is in your life? And that's the way it's going to happen to Jacob. Jacob handles the first bit of trouble that comes, but there's more around the corner. So J- Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, That is Bethlehem. So where uh, Rachel was buried, 2,000 years later, Jesus would be born. Over a tomb, Jacob set up a pillar And to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Now we're going to skip ahead to chapter 37. Uh, Joseph is hated by his brothers. And as a result, they want to kill him. They're going to sell him into slavery in Egypt. And hopefully he will die there. Uh, But they, they sell him into slavery to the Midianites. So we pick it up now in verse 28. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, ...who took him to Egypt. Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, "...we found this, examine it, to see whether it is your son's robe." And then they said, "...some ferocious animal." Uh, Jacob cries out and he recognized it and says, "...it is my son's robe, some ferocious animal." has devoured him, Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Now, what we're going to see is that this is the greatest loss a person can ever experience. I've heard that of all the loss that I've seen as a pastor, losing a child is is the worst. That is the hardest. Kimberly and I are always amazed when we talk to people in our church who have lost a child. And it may have been years before. Uh, they talk about it as if it just happened the day before or just recently. There's this one couple in our church. And they lost their little boy 60 years ago. And yet when they talk about his death, it's as if it happened yesterday. And tears still come up in their eyes. Even though it was six decades ago, there is no greater loss than the loss of a child. And and the problem is, this is the second punch. He absorbed the first punch by losing Rachel. But now comes the second punch. And this one knocks him down. Then Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth. And mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Then we come to this word, meanwhile. Meanwhile. It's one of the great words of the Bible. One of my favorite words in the Bible is but. One thing happens, but God. Uh, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in his son, Jesus Christ. That little three-letter word but is such a wonderful word. But let me add another one to your repertoire. The word meanwhile. The word meanwhile. He, He gets knocked down, punched by the first loss of Rachel. And then the next punch knocks him down and he says, I will grieve until the day I die. But here comes that biblical word meanwhile. How many of you are willing to admit that you're as old as me and you remember the old westerns where they said meanwhile back at the ranch? Can anybody remember those? Meanwhile back in the ranch. Meanwhile back in heaven God is up to something. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Meanwhile, back in heaven, God is up to something. And I believe that God invited you to come here. And here it is, a holiday weekend. It would have been so easy to stay in bed or to watch football or to do a hundred other things, get prepared for the party tonight. I don't know. But something drew you here. Or if you're watching online, something caused you to, to watch the broadcast and, and, and it's streaming online. And, and, and I believe the thing that God invited you here to see And to hear is that one little word, meanwhile. Are you facing trouble this morning as you enter into a new year? Meanwhile. Do you feel like everything's against you? Meanwhile. Do you feel like you don't know what God's up to in your life? Meanwhile. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Meanwhile, back in heaven, God is up to something. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Jacob, from his perspective, thinks this is the number two punch. Rachel now losing Joseph. But instead of it being the number two punch, meanwhile, God is working behind the scenes to make Joseph not the number two punch, but the number two man in all the world. Jacob, from his perspective, thinks it's the second punch. God, from his perspective, says, no, I'm making him the second most powerful man on all the planet. And God is doing the same thing in your life and in my life. And think of that thing that is most discouraging you this morning. I'm not saying that's a good thing. The Bible never says all things are good. Many things are not good. But he does say that he's in the business of meanwhile, working even not so good things for our ultimate good. And everything seems to be against us. God is actually working for us. Now... Joseph becomes number two in the land. But the brothers go to get food from Egypt. But they don't recognize him because he's just so different. He's, they thought they thought he'd be dead by now. They had sold him into slavery years before. They thought surely by now he's dead. They don't even think about him. They, they think he's just not in existence anymore. And so they don't recognize him when he comes in and all the trappings of the second most powerful man in Egypt. And Joseph begins to embark on a test of their character to see if they've changed as people uh, through the years. When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, The man who is lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We were twelve brothers, sons of one father. One is no more. See, they thought he was dead themselves. They actually thought he was dead too. And the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is lord over the land said to us, This is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me so that I will know that you are not spies but are honest men. Here comes the third and the fourth hit. Number one punch, Rachel. Number two punch, he thinks he's lost Joseph. Number three punch, Simeon is now a prisoner. So one son's a prisoner. Number four punch, he thinks he's going to lose his son Benjamin as well. So four punches in a row. Lose the love of his life, Rachel. Second punch, loses his son to death. Third punch, he's got a son in prison in Egypt. Fourth punch, uh, now uh, Benjamin is threatened as well. Then I will give your brother back to you. And you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. And so Joseph had instructed that they put the silver back in the pouch once again. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Here comes the fifth punch. They think we're going to be killed. They're going to think we stole his money. So now not only is Benjamin going to be taken, and Simeon's in prison, and Joseph's dead, and Rachel is dead, Now, we're going to be killed as well. And five punches finally break the spirit of Jacob. And maybe your spirit is broken here this morning because there have been five punches during 2017 that have just knocked you down. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more. And Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin everything is against me. And we're sitting there from God's perspective saying, no, 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 Jacob. Everything is not against you. Everything is for you. You just don't realize it yet. And that's why you're here this morning because God wanted to say to you that from your perspective, it seems like everything is against you, but that's just because it's your perspective. But from God's perspective, everything is for you you just don't realize it yet. If you simply take that outline, hold it up to a mirror, turn it upside down, it will say, everything is not against me, everything is for me. Write down this verse. I didn't include it in the study outline, but it's a very important verse. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. Here's what Paul says. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. You can't see it clearly right now. It's like through a dirty glass. You can't understand what God is up to. But someday you're going to see it clearly, face to face, and you will realize that the things you thought were against you was actually God's taking those things and working them for you. Paul said, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or December, or the holidays, or Christmas, or New Year's, or 2018, or a cancer diagnosis or a divorce or a broken heart or uh, laid off at work or 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 any other trouble who shall separate us from the love of Christ as it is written for your sake we face death all day long we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him Who loved us? For I am convinced. Would you repeat those four words with me out loud together? For I am convinced. One more time out loud together. For I am convinced. One more time as loud as you can say it. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor any powers will be able, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and all God's family said, Amen. Amen. Now I'm praying, because I love you as my church family, that this will come clear sooner rather than later. I'm praying it's that whatever that trouble is that you're thinking of right now, I pray it clears up tomorrow. I pray it clears up January. I pray that it clears up sometime in 2018. But I can't promise you that. I can just tell you that's what I hope. And that's what I pray for. But here's what I can promise you. He will keep his promise. If you turn this thing over to him, if you turn your life over to him, whether it be later rather than sooner, whether it even be in heaven, he will keep his promise, and the thing you think is against you will eventually you will see God is walking for you. Now let's see how that worked out in Jacob's life. Skipping ahead to chapter 45. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all of Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And that's what I'm praying for you. That just in some small way, through what we've shared this morning, that your spirit will revive. That in some small way, we have pulled back the curtains of heaven. And for just a moment, we see the Father's plan in our lives. And in that moment, our spirit will be revived. And whatever discouragement you came in here with, that your spirit will be revived. And you will leave with a hope for the new year. And Israel said, Israel is just another name for Jacob, they're synonymous. And Israel said, I'm convinced. Remember what I just had to say for I am convinced. Now he says, I'm convinced. Would you say out loud with me together? I'm convinced. One more time together. I'm convinced. One more time as loud as you can say it. I'm convinced. I'm convinced he said. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Skipping to 40s, 40, chapter 46. Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, now I'm ready to die, since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Lisa Patterson, who's our children's pastor, we were together as pastors around Thanksgiving, and we were sharing things we were thankful for, and Lisa shared something very powerful. She shared an event that had happened a year before in her life, and she said, if you had told me that I could ever be thankful for this event, it was the worst event of her life, She said, I would have told you you're crazy, but now a year later, I'm actually able to thank God for that particular thing that happened um, uh, in my life. And then she gave a challenge to the pastors. She said, what is that thing in your life right now that you can't imagine being thankful for that maybe by faith a year from now you will look back and actually thank God for that thing? Here's an acronym for HOPE, H-O-P-E, hold on pain ends. Hope. Hold on. Pain ends. One of the great phrases in the Bible is this, it came to pass. Whatever you're going through this morning that is hard, it will pass. It came to pass. Pain will end. Fix your eyes on Jesus and eventually that trouble will turn to joy nothing can separate you from god's love nothing can separate you from his plan and his purpose for your life hope hold on pain ends nacl is the compound formula for salt it's sodium na chlorine uh, cl i told this Mostly right, the last service, and a science teacher corrected me after the service so i 'm praying that she 's not here at the second deck service, and I just do it the way I did it um, but i 'll do the best that I can but when the the two separate are terrible poisons chlorine is a poison uh, sodium 's a poison, both of those are poison, but when they come together as a compound, their poisonous effects are. are are done away with, and instead it's salt. And salt makes life delicious. (laughs) It'll raise your blood pressure also, (laughs) but it does make life delicious. And God is in the business of taking the poisons of our life and putting them together in a unique compound to make something salty in the people around you and in your own life. As the praise team comes up, I want to just read this uh, quote from Marshall Shelley, entitled, The Author Knows the End of the Story. Even as a child, I loved to read, and I quickly learned that I would most likely be confused during the opening chapters of a novel. New characters were introduced. Disparate, seemingly random events took place. Subplots were complicated and didn't seem to make any sense In relation to the main plot. But I learned to keep reading. Why? Because you know that the author, if he or she is good, will weave them all together by the end of the book. Eventually, each element will be meaningful. At times, such faith has to be a conscious choice. Even when I can't explain why any bad, tragic, or painful thing happens, I choose to trust that before the book closes the author will make things clear. They may not be clear to you right now, but you're at the beginning of the book. They may seem confusing, but you're in the middle of the book. But I guarantee you, if you will let Jesus write the pages of your story, the author will make everything clear by the end. And it'll all work together for your good. Everything is not against you. Meanwhile, back in heaven, God is working everything for you. Now we're going to close with a couple of praise songs. And I'm going to ask the pastors that are here at this service to come up and stand along either the middle or, or the sides here. And, and and I want this to be a time of commitment into the new year. The first song is going to be Come to the Altar, and you come to the altar to commit the new year to God. And if you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ and you want to follow him into 2018, uh, then I invite you to come forward and to pray uh, to receive Christ. If you've never done that before. All these promises I'm talking about, they only work if you've surrendered your life to Christ. Uh, None of them apply unless you've said, Lord, I want you to write my story. And so if you've never made that decision, I invite you to come forward and pray with one of the pastors to do that. But if you're here today... And there's something, some trouble that you're facing as you go into the new year. And you'd like to just commit that thing to the Lord in prayer. Say, God, I'm just coming forward and praying with one of the pastors. Don't be shy. I hope many of you will do it. And and you just want to commit that thing. Lord, this thing I am committing to you that even though it seems like it's against me, I am turning it over to you that you will work it for me instead of against me. Or maybe there's an area of your life that you want to surrender to him and turn over to him. Or maybe it's just one of those areas of trouble that when I had you think, what's the thing that you're most concerned about that breaks your heart the most, that worries you the most, Um, let's commit that thing to Jesus just to come forward a brief private word of prayer with one of the pastors just to commit that thing uh, to the Lord, that Lord, this thing that seems to be against me, I am turning it over to you and pray that you will work it uh, for me. So let's stand together and let's worship for a while. And if God is leading you to do that, and I hope he will for many of you, uh, come on down and just have a brief private word with one of the pastors as we um, finish together with a time of worship and commitment uh, together here.